So I got all jumbled up in my words earlier. I'm sorry about that. I had a, a couple come and tell me between services that uh, uh, a couple who does not go to church here, people I've known my whole life, love them dearly. She just had a stroke, and he's at home caring for her. And they're just really difficult days for that family. And so uh, if you would, just can we for a moment pray for them? Um, God knows who they are. God, you know who the couple is, and they are just loved by so many people. They have loved and served you their whole lives through their church and through their community, and now they they need that same group of people to surround them. And so, God, would you, I just ask that, uh, that your Holy Spirit would be in that home as uh, she's now recovering from a stroke and she's on hospice and he's there to care for her, that your Holy Spirit there, that just the love of Jesus would surround them in the people that they have gone to church with and, and built their life around and with and for for so many years and that there would just be a powerful presence of you in that place, whatever it is that you have planned for the days ahead. God, we just give it to you and trust in your best. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. God knows who they are. If you've got your Bible with you, go to Philippians uh, chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 19, work to verse 26. If you don't have your Bible with you, or if you're one of those phone app people, you can do that too. Uh, yeah, because yeah, you're out there. Um, if you don't have your Bible, bring it next week, because we're going to be using it every week around here. Uh, uh, we really, truly do believe that God's Word is as relevant today as the days that it was written. Our, our only job is to get into and see what God is saying to us. And so that's what we're hoping to do in this uh, study in Philippians. And so as we start in Philippians 1, Paul is in a Roman prison. And he's writing to the church in Philippi, where he, he was there when this church was born. Uh, it's the first church that, where the gospel began to move into Europe. And Paul's in this jail, and somehow or another, he just is full of joy. And it just doesn't make sense. And I read it, and the more that I read about Paul, and the more I understand about Paul, it doesn't make sense to me. The man has just superhuman joy, and I realize it's supernatural joy because it's Holy Spirit joy. And, and it's just, it's the most incredible thing. And so part of it is convicting for me and part of it is encouraging for me. And so we're going to go through the whole book of Philippians and, and our focus in this book is joy. Because Paul talks about it over and over and over. So we're going to begin Philippians 1 starting in verse 19. But I want to ask you a question before we go any further. What or who are you living for? What or who are you living for? And does that thing or does that person bring you joy? Not does it make you happy, does it bring you joy, which is something that doesn't ever go away. What are you living for and does that thing or person bring you joy? And if your answer is no, why in the world are you living for that thing or that person? Because living for Jesus is a source of joy your whole life. And Paul proves to us that it doesn't matter your circumstances. It doesn't matter where you happen to be living or if you're jailed to a, or, or chained to a Roman jailer in the middle of a jail cell. It, it doesn't matter. Those things don't matter. If you're living for Jesus, Jesus is your joy. And joy doesn't go away when it comes from Jesus. And so I'm opening with the very same phrase I'm going to use that I close so you'll know when we're at the end. What are you living for? Who are you living for? And does that thing or that person bring you joy? Because if your answer is no, please take some time and think about why in the world you're pouring yourself into whatever that thing is. See, when we live, we, we talked about purpose and we talked about ministry. And, and the key to Paul is Paul knows his purpose. Paul knows his ministry. 
Paul knows why he's here on earth. And when we live in our God-given purpose, we live in God-given joy. Paul had this deep and abiding sense of joy because he lived every moment of every day looking for the opportunity, taking advantage of the opportunity to preach in his word, words, Jesus Christ and him crucified. That was Paul's purpose. That was who Paul was living for. That is what Paul was living for. What or who are you living for? See, in our country right now, Satan is working overtime to divide us, to tear us apart. Christian from Christian, churches at the seams, people, politics, everywhere you turn, there is just so much evidence that Satan is tearing people apart and he'd love to tear Christians apart. But you know what? When we're living for Jesus and we're not living for the things of this world, he cannot do it. Because Satan is trying to get at our source of happiness. But if our joy comes from Jesus, if we're living for Jesus, Satan has no hold on us. So what are you living for? Who are you living for? Philippians chapter 1, starting in verse 19. Here we go. And if you're going to follow this on your phone, you're better than I am. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. What's he talking about? He's in jail. And uh, we talked last week about this whole process that he had been through it to, to find himself in jail. He has no idea what happens next. He's got no clue. Just like you and I, we don't know what's coming tomorrow. But you know what? Paul finds himself in a Roman jail, and there's basically three options. He could end up staying there for a very, very long amount of time. He could end up seeing the emperor, and the emperor sets him free, or he could be convicted of a capital crime and put to death. Paul has no idea how it's going to work out. God hasn't revealed to Paul what the next step is. He doesn't know what his next chapter is. And so what Paul focuses on is the joy that he has in proclaiming the name of Jesus. And we talked about how he did that with everybody that he encountered, most of whom were Roman soldiers. The, the only promise that Paul has is the promise of heaven when this life is over. And he talks about the word deliverance. He doesn't specify whether he's going to be delivered from jail or delivered from this life. And this life wasn't an easy one for him. We talked last week how there were preachers and there were churches and there were Christians, new Christians, running around Rome that were doing everything they could to talk down and, and to disparage Paul's name because they said, how in the world can anybody preach anything good when he's in jail? Look at him. And yet, Paul didn't have a negative word to say about them. He said, you know, at, at least some of them are preaching with right motives. Others he recognized were not. But Jesus is being proclaimed, and that's what matters to him. So his salvation is what he's holding on to. And as long as he preaches Jesus and he sticks to God's heart, Paul knows that he's going to be delivered one way or the other. Do you know that? Do you know that one way or the other, whether it is in this life, in the situation that you're in, or that it's heaven living in eternity with Jesus, that you're going to be delivered? Whether he gets out of jail and he's delivered in the sight of people, or whether he loses his life and he is brought directly into the sight of God, Paul knows that he's going to be delivered. And so he preaches the name of Jesus. Because that's what Paul's life is about. That's the lesson that we get from Paul. And he'd lived a tough life. By the time he got to jail, he had had people who he was ministering to, who he wanted the very best for, who took rocks, big rocks, and threw at him until they believed he was dead and dragged him outside of town. 
He so much believed in preaching the name of Jesus that he traveled all over his part of the world. And travel wasn't easy, whether by foot or on ship. Travel wasn't easy to preach the name of Jesus more often than not to people who didn't really want to hear it. And what he left behind were churches, the fruit of his labors. In in addition to getting stoned and going to jail, having people who he loved and cared about reject him and talk bad about him, Paul's life was tough. He was on a ship, and the the ship got caught in a storm, and for two weeks it went around, and and they didn't end up really going anywhere, and and they were starving. And that kind of travel takes a toll on a guy. And so Paul's saying, whether I'm delivered from this life or whether I'm delivered uh, from the jail, you know, it's all for Jesus. And so he talks about deliverance, and and he isn't clear about it. So I've often wondered, what did Paul look like? What is a guy that's been through this kind of travel, that meets Jesus on this road, has his life radically transformed? He must have been an imposing figure. You ever wondered what what Paul looked like or what Peter looked like? I wonder about that stuff. And they, they didn't do paintings. We don't have pictures. And there's not very much that's written because as far as the Bible, as far as God is concerned, their appearance isn't what matters. It's the message that matters. Your appearance doesn't matter. Your message and who you live for is what matters. But there's this guy named Onesiphorus, and, and he wrote about him. And this is one of the few things Paul writes a little bit about his appearance in Second Corinthians. We're going to look at that in a moment. But here's what Onesiphorus said. He saw this man, a man small of stature, with a bald head and crooked legs, in a good state of body, with eyebrows meeting and a nose somewhat crooked. He sounds like a comic book character. I've read that Paul was short and he looked disfigured and he had one eyebrow with a crooked nose and balding with red hair. What was left of it? That is not the image in my mind that I would have of Paul. And so he talks about it a little bit himself. He actually says in 2 Corinthians, he's writing about himself, talking about what other people say about him. He says, for they say in 2 Corinthians 10.10, His letters, referring to Paul, are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak, and his speech is of no account. (laughs) Paul's not a physical specimen. Paul isn't the kind of guy that you're going to see going, whatever he's got to say, I'm in. I'm listening. I want to be like that guy. It's very clear that the strength that Paul had wasn't in his appearance, and it wasn't in how he spoke. A a lot like Moses, that you know, God said, go to Pharaoh, and he said, i got a speech impediment. You don't want to send me. There are a lot of people that, that don't want to be the voice for God. Paul was not someone who was a fabulous speaker. Peter preaches one sermon, 3,000 people come to faith. I mean, that's like talk about laying the ground for Billy Graham, am I right? But that doesn't seem to be Paul. Paul didn't have that. And Paul didn't have speech writers. He was no wordsmith. Paul was no man that had a fabulous grasp of the language, which is why Paul said, I preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. There was his sermon. Jesus Christ and him crucified. Who's the focus? Jesus. Who's it about? Jesus. Who's Paul living for? Jesus. Jesus Christ and him crucified. So here this guy that just doesn't look like much, doesn't seem to be about the kind of person that that you you would be drawn to, and yet you know what he has is this, incredible passion to preach the name of Jesus. And I think about myself, well, then what's my excuse? Why should I have a passion that's anything less? And so I'm going to flip the, the table around on you here. What's your excuse? Not in a Roman prison. 
You read Paul's description, you can go, okay, I look better than that dude. What are you living for and what are you telling the world about? Because Paul is preaching the name of Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's all that he does. Verse 20. It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. That's a guy who's speaking boldly, looking at his own mortality. He's not worried about whether he lives or whether he dies. God will take care of that. What he's worried about is that Christ will be always honored in his body while he's alive. It makes me ask questions about myself. I don't know about you, but it makes me wonder, what am I doing? I guess I'm the kind that reads something like this from Paul, and I say, okay, well, what about me? How, what am I doing with it? What am I doing with my life? Maybe you're the same kind of person. Maybe you ask the same questions. Do I have an eager expectation and hope like Paul does? Do you have an eager expectation and hope that Jesus will use you in this lifetime? Because here's the thing, if you're not willing, if you're not obedient, if you're not putting yourself out there for Jesus to use, it's probably not going to happen. But Paul has this eager expectation and hope. I love that language. He's got this courage about preaching the good news, and I so much admire that. Preaching isn't an easy thing because, because you're speaking God's word. And Paul does it with courage. And over and over and over, his message is not about Paul, not about his defense, not about anything about him. And he could tell stories about his life, believe me. He talked about Jesus Christ and him crucified. He preaches with courage and passion, which tells me that you and I, we don't need anything more than faith in Jesus and a passion for him to be a voice for the gospel. If Paul can do it in a prison and have all kinds of people out there talking bad about him, and not be stopped, if he can be chained by the wrist to Roman soldiers 24 hours a day and see those men converted by the good news of Jesus because Paul preached the good news of Jesus, he preached Jesus Christ and him crucified, what's our excuse? We don't need to know our Bible better than everybody else. We just need to believe in Jesus. Thank you. We don't need to have more Bible verses memorized. You don't need to have spent 30 years in the faith going to school. You need to believe in Jesus. And you need to be willing to talk to other people about him. About who? Jesus Christ and him crucified, the man who you know who gave his life for you. So who are you living for? What are you living for? Paul makes it so simple and we make it so complicated. See, our hope should be that we've got this, this eager expectation that Jesus will use us in our lifetime for his glory. Verse 21, he says, for, to me, for, uh, for me, to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Words are hard. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. What about you? If you were going to finish that sentence, if we gave you a piece of paper, for me to live is, fill in the blank, what, what would you say? For me to live is going to work? Making money, checking on my portfolio in the morning, my spouse, my kids, my parents, a dream vacation. For you to live is what? What, what? what is life to you? What is your example of life? What would you use as that word? Faith. What is it? For me to live. You hear what he said? 
For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. It doesn't matter whether he's alive or whether he's dead. Paul wins. He lives for Jesus or he dies to be with Jesus. If you were to fill that one in, for me to live is, what would it be for you? See, the, here's the thing. That's the thing that you're going to live for. That's the one thing. We, we talked about that before. That's the one thing that you're going to live for, whatever that is. And that's the thing that you're going to give stuff up for. That's the thing that you're going to make room for. That's the, that's the thing, whatever it is, that you're going to give of yourselves and risk it all for. And some of those things that we choose to live for, the cost is our lives. But for others of us, we get to pour ourselves into something like Paul is for Jesus. So the question is, what are you going to live for? Because that is the thing that you will live for. Maybe you don't have an answer to that question. Or maybe the real honest answer is you want to say Jesus, but you know what you really live for is you. I think one of the greatest illnesses in the Christian church today is Christians who proclaim the name of Jesus and refuse to quit living for themselves. Do you live for the name of Jesus or do you live for you? Paul says he lives for Jesus Christ and him crucified. It goes back to a couple of weeks ago I talked about City Slickers and Curly and Mitch. Just one thing. What's the meaning of life? It's one thing. And God gives every one of us the opportunity to figure it out for ourselves. And that decision that we make, that thing that we believe is the meaning of life, that's what we live for. But be careful because that becomes your life. It becomes who you are, what you do, how you live. It becomes what you leave behind when you die. See, when Paul stares at his own death, which is what he's doing in prison, he's talking about that. You know what he sees? He doesn't see pain. He doesn't see suffering. He's already been, been had rocks thrown at him and left for dead. That, that's not what he sees. You know what he sees is Jesus. When he sees himself living, you know what he sees? An opportunity to preach Jesus. And that's what gives him joy, seeing Jesus. He considers his death and he imagines eternity with Jesus. He considers time in prison and he considers time to preach Jesus. He considers being let go of jail and sent out into the world. And he considers preaching Jesus. Paul sees Jesus. Because Jesus is what Paul lives for. In death, Paul knows that he gains his eternal reward. He knows that in death he gains eternal life. And he knows that while he's on earth preaching Jesus, he gets to give that gift to other people. Verse 22, he says, If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, which I shall choose, uh, I cannot tell. If he's going to live, if he's going to be in jail, or if he's going to get out of jail, he knows the one thing he's going to do is preach Jesus. And he knows if he's preaching Jesus, he's in God's will. He's close to God's heart. He said that's fruitful labor. There's going to be a product. There's going to be a result from that that's going to be good. The talk, Bible talks about we're known by our fruit. Paul knows that that's fruitful labor when he preaches Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's a good, visible product of his efforts. He, he's so clear that... Whether he is a first century Christian in a Roman jail or whether you are a 21st century Christian in West Central Minnesota, the fruit of your life is a result of what you live for and what you believe. What do you live for? What do you believe? Paul believed in and lived for Jesus and the fruit of his life is the church of today. Jesus Christ and him crucified. That was the message over and over and over. And in all of that, what Paul found was joy because he served Jesus, he served others, and then he lived for himself. And we can do the same thing.
Verse 23, I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. See, Paul, Paul has this longing. But Paul has this longing to be in heaven because life has been hard on him. But he also realizes that he's got a call, he's got a purpose, he's got a, miss, a, a mission here on earth. And so he's torn, and, and maybe you can relate to that. Maybe you can relate to being, being torn between a desire to go to heaven and desire to be with people here on earth. I had an interesting thing happen. It is, man, a long time ago now. Kirsten had just been born. We were living in Indianapolis. Deidre and I were, had a little house. Um, Kirsten was just a few days old. I think she was actually, mom and dad were there when she was born. My mom and dad came down. And I don't know how it happened. But Kirsten and, or Deidre and my mom got into a conversation about Kirsten. And Deidre, is, as a young mom, is doing, thinking about, man, what, what's this kid going to be? You know, you, you look at a baby before they can do anything, but, you know, the stuff you've got to clean up after, right? You look at them and they're perfect. Oh, my goodness, talk about an open book. And she's talking about all these things that, that Kirsten might become. She asked my mom, isn't it going to be great to see her grow up? And somehow my mom said, yeah, but I hope I'm in heaven before that. And poor Deidre goes, what? You don't want to see your grandchild? She's your first grandchild. You don't want to see her grow up? My mom says, yeah, I do, but I'd rather be in heaven. That's the struggle that Paul has. And mom's statement is absolutely on the money for a mature believer. Life here on earth can be fabulous, but life in heaven is going to be so much better. And Paul's torn between the two. The very real tear between life with people we love here on earth and life with Jesus in heaven. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account, he says in verse 24. Paul would personally choose to leave earth to be with Jesus in heaven, but he realizes that the church needs him. He realizes these people need him. He realizes he's not done living out his call. And that's not easy. I, I remember years ago when, when I, I could no longer avoid or dismiss the very strong sense that I was being called to ministry. I didn't want to go, and, and I've told you this. I have a deathly fear of speaking in public. I still do. And the idea of being a pastor that didn't have to preach, I could do that. But I'd never seen one of those before. Every pastor has to preach. That and I figured the major disqualification is i got a lousy voice and I can't play guitar. Who's going to hire that pastor, right? I finally give in to God and say, fine, a whole series of events happened. And, and, and what I ended up saying to him was, you know, God, I will do this. I just don't ever want to make a fool of you. I, I, I'll be the fool. That's fine. Boy, I, I make exclamation points about that all the time. But I don't ever want to make a fool of you, God. That was my concern of being a, a vocal witness, speaking for God, was making a fool of him. And I bet you can imagine that. I bet you right where you are in your life, in, in your circle of friends, in your sphere of influence, Maybe part of the reason that you don't talk about Jesus more is because you know that you're not a very good example of a Christian. You know that your life isn't exactly the one that they're going to put on the bulletin board saying, you want to be like this guy or you want to be like her. But you know what? God doesn't ask us to be that person. God asks us to be who we are. God asks us to be willing. God asks you to be who you are for him right where you are right now. And I bet you can imagine not wanting to say too much because you knew people knew who you really were, but you know what? It isn't really about you. It isn't really about me. It's really about Jesus. 
It's about Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And so when it comes to being like Paul, being willing to be among the people on earth right now, we've got the same call, and that's to preach the good news of Jesus. It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. It doesn't matter how many Bible verses you know. What matters is that you believe in Jesus as your Savior and that you're willing to talk to other people about Him, even in the midst of all that you don't know. You can figure it out together. Paul says that even though I'd rather, it's more necessary on your account that I'm here. So he says, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and your joy in the faith. He is going to work alongside them. He's not going to necessarily be physically with them in Philippi. But for their progress and their joy, that he is going to continue to partner in ministry with them as they grow in faith. Not just as they grow up as Christians, but in their joy. And he keeps coming back to the word joy and rejoice. Even though his preference would be to go to heaven. You've got to believe that Paul could say at any point, you know what, I ran the good race, I fought the good fight, I've earned my retirement in heaven. Yeah, he had. But he also said, I'm going to stay for you for your progress and, and joy in the faith. See, Paul's life, an awful lot of it couldn't have been much fun. It was painful. It, it could not have been comfortable. Paul could have written a lot of letters about how miserable it was to be a, an obedient disciple of Jesus. But you know what? It doesn't come through in one of them. None of that does. In fact, when he talks about those things, he says it's all for the good of the gospel. All of it God is able to use to proclaim the name of Jesus. And wherever you are in your life, whatever you've done, whoever you are, whatever you've made of your life, God can use you to proclaim the name of Jesus if you're willing. And if what your excuse is going to be is to say, well, you know what, I'm not good enough, fill in the blank, you're right, none of us are. Paul's life was hard. He, he, was, he was living his purpose, and because he was living his purpose, the hard life didn't matter. And what he found in it was joy. He was living for Jesus, and, and that brought him joy. And so I'm going to go back to where I began, and I warned you about this. Who are you living for? The right answer in church, of course, is what we learn it when we're two. Who are you living for? Jesus. Are you? Does the evidence and the testimony of your life bear witness to that? Does the fruit around you bear witness to that? Do the people who know you know that? Who are you living for? That's Paul's message. That's the, that's the thing that we learn from him. And, and does that thing or does that person give you joy? Because if you're living for Jesus, you understand joy on a level that people who aren't living for Jesus just don't get it. Because even in the middle of the most miserable of circumstances, you may not be happy, but there is a joy and a peace and a contentment that's beyond understanding. Not because of how you feel, but because of Jesus in you. See, what are you living for? Who are you living for? But Paul would say that if your answer isn't Jesus and isn't really Jesus, then what is the point of your living at all? What are you doing with your life? If you're not living for Jesus, well, then the only other option you possibly have, all of your time, all of your affection, all of your attention, all of your finances, if you're not directing those to proclaim the name of Jesus, you're directing them to yourself. If you're not living for Jesus, you're living for you. And so many people who talk about Christians as being hypocrites, is that that's what they see. They expect to see people that are living for Jesus, and they expect, and they actually see people who are living for ourselves. See, when we live for Jesus, some things begin to happen. A peace and a contentment take over that the world can't offer. And joy follows. And along with, with all of that 
peace and that contentment and that joy. We may not be comfortable. Life may not be what other people want to live. But you know what? We know that we're there in the will of God, living for and proclaiming the name of Jesus. So maybe today is your day not to have the right answer, but to start living the right answer. Maybe today is your day to not just say Jesus is the right answer. Today is the day to turn it around and start living for Jesus. To start putting his priorities as your priorities, his will as your will. Living for Jesus first and then others and then yourself. Yep, what follows is joy. Maybe you don't know what it is to live for Jesus because you've just never, ever tried. You don't know what joy is. You know what happiness is, but you know as soon as there's happiness, something else sweeps along, your emotions change, and it's gone. Maybe you need to get a line of Paul, and you need to let Jesus' passion become your passion. And what's Jesus' passion? Jesus died for people. Jesus died for you and for me. Jesus, others, yourself. See, when we, when we live in our God-given purpose, we get to live in God-given joy. And when we live for ourselves, the only thing we can do is live for whatever happiness we can produce out of our life. When we live for ourselves, we live and we die alone. When we live for Jesus, we live in joy and we live for eternity with him. So I'm going to ask you the question I started with. What or who are you living for? And if it isn't Jesus, what are you doing with your life? Let's pray. God, thanks for Paul. Thank you for a life well lived that was so difficult. God, there's just no way in the world that we can look at his life and not have joy ourselves because we maybe have made terrible mistakes and had awful things happen to us, but it doesn't compare with what Paul went through. None of us have had rocks thrown at us by people we care about and left for dead outside of town. And yet that never, ever extinguished his joy. It never ended his purpose or changed his focus. His perspective and his sights were always set on Jesus Christ and him crucified. God, in the power of your Holy Spirit, stir in us that we wouldn't just talk about believing in Jesus, that we would live for Jesus. And if there's those folks here today who just don't even know what that is, God, I pray your Holy Spirit would just, just turn in them that they would, they would need to find that out, that they would look to you to solve and to answer the questions and resolve the problems that they've been struggling with because you indeed are the answer. And God, we ask that we would be a church full of people who truly would be known by the world that we live for you because it isn't about us at all. It's all about you. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, you know, we, we, uh, we're, we're living in, in strange times in our country right now, if you haven't been paying attention. And here's the simple fact of the matter. Satan is alive and well, and he's not just prowling around the country. He is actively devouring. And you know what? We need Christians who realize that our job isn't to whimper. Our job is to roar. Amen. So here I'm thinking about this song, and, and here's what I realize, that we, we've said this around here for a long time, and the simple fact is that the power that raised Jesus from the grave is the very same resurrection power that's alive in you as a Christian. You get that? So you say, well, I, if I was a little bit stronger, a little more courageous, what more do you need? Right? God proved himself 2,000 years ago, and now that power is living in you. We just need to be people who believe it and live it.